Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Uh, Group Thinkers is the podcast from RKD Group. And on each and every episode, we talk with someone who's doing something innovative and unique in the nonprofit marketing space. Today is no different. So joining uh, Ronnie and I on this episode is Emily Haynes from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Emily has a, a super unique position and perspective because, uh, you know, we talk about innovation and understanding about what's happening in nonprofit marketing. That's Emily's beat. Her whole gig is to write about what's happening in nonprofit marketing and fundraising in particular. And so if you haven't checked out Emily's work, uh, strongly encourage you to check out the Chronicle of Philanthropy, find any article by Emily Haynes and and uh, and just follow her byline. Uh, straight follows and super interesting in terms of the, the way in which she's reporting on looking at trends in the nonprofit fundraising space. So uh, this episode is particularly focused on monthly giving. So Emily's going to share what she sees in the field right now and what she sees people are doing right, maybe some areas where they're underperforming. And then we're going to talk about how that connects to younger donors and this emerging group of donors and Gen X. And so last thing I'll say before we get into the episode is if you haven't already, uh, take a minute and download the RKD Group Guide to Nonprofit Marketing to Gen X. And so that can be found at rkdgroup.com slash Gen X. You can download the whole study. We've uploaded some persona worksheets. There's all sorts of cool stuff, including some uh, pretty rad creative that uh, we hope you enjoy and that becomes useful to you in your strategies. So with that and no further delays, here is Emily Haynes from the Chronicle of Philanthropy on Group Thinkers. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of Group Thinkers. Uh, delighted today to be joined by uh, Emily Haynes from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Emily, how are you? I'm good. Today is my last day in the office before vacation, so very good. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And you chose to spend that time with us, and so we're hopefully we can keep you from having that senioritis uh, and, okay. and rush to get out. Um, also joining us today, Ronnie Richard making an appearance to, to help us navigate through the conversation and uh, and keep us honest to the facts uh, that that we're talking about with respect to Gen X. Ronnie, good to see you. And I'm just getting back from vacation, so getting right back into it now. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, so this is this is great, Emily. Thank you so much for being a part of. Uh, this chat today, you know, we're we're in the midst of a series of episodes and sessions talking about Gen X. And so, you know, really, as, as a part of that, one of the things that we want to dive into today is around monthly giving and uh, monthly giving through the lens of a younger donor base. Um, you know, monthly giving is something that is um, 
has either lost its meaning among some nonprofit marketers because it's turned from buzzword into meaningless word, uh, somewhere in between that to an expectation to something that everyone aspires to have and, and not everyone knows how to master it. So very interested to get into it with you. But just at, at the outset, um, always like to start with having our guests share their journey. And so talk to us about uh, your path and what led you to the Chronicle, how you got there and, and your focus there. Sure. Um, so I actually started my career in nonprofits. Um, I uh, had always hoped to get into to writing and to reporting, but um, I graduated from college in 2013. So that makes me a millennial. So I had to do my, my research on Gen Xers because it's not my lived experience. Um, but yeah, so the job market was pretty bad and it was like rough going for a while there. So I had a super circuitous route, uh, worked at nonprofits. I was an editor. Um, after that, I moved over to our uh, local public radio station. So another nonprofit. I managed a podcast incubator there, did some editing for our hyperlocal news site, DCist. And then after that, I moved over to the Chronicle and was overjoyed to be in a newsroom and um, to be able to cover a world that I had worked in and had kind of found a little baffling. And so it's been pretty rewarding to, to dig into that more. And um, my focus at the Chronicle is nonprofit fundraising. So I will report on other stuff, but my primary beat is fundraising. Which is, as you know, a weird world. So it's very hard to to get to know it. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, even whenever whenever I share with someone that, you know, I worked for a, a marketing firm that works exclusively with nonprofits, it's it is the it's the Wizard of Oz scene of the horse of a different color. Like it's just it's it doesn't exactly like it takes a second to figure out because it is such a, a an interesting space uh, and and. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that your perspective on these topics today is going to be um, so valuable because of the uh, the view that you have of the nonprofit fundraising landscape. And I love that you are coming to us from the newsroom mentality. Ronnie is a recovering journalist, uh, and uh, and so and and I have some um, journalism in my blood as well. And so that I think we all have this kind of interesting way at looking at this topic and. Uh, and so, yeah, as you know, we we published this study on Gen X and and really, Emily, the, the idea behind it was that in our conversations, uh, both direct conversations and then overhearing the, you know, the conference conversations and the lobbies and, and that sort of thing is that historically and, and especially amongst legacy nonprofits, there's been such great attention towards uh, a, an older demographic. And so not even getting into the labels of generations, but just an older, matured donor demographic. And so, you know, that is the foundation for so many folks' direct mail programs. And uh, then as the last 10, 15 years have unfolded and the two decades plus now of digital, there's been this massive turn of the head towards the millennial audience. And I think that that coincides with the rise of discourse around millennials entering the workplace and all of the things around that. So there's this legacy connection and this 
this desire to grow millennials and just so happens as is apropos for Gen X, they're overlooked, right? As a part of it. And so really uh, our our central thesis was, well, we want to find out what they think, what Gen Xers think, how they compare themselves, how they think about philanthropy, how they think about diving into um, supporting nonprofits, whether or not that's with their time or especially with their their dollars. And so that was the idea that came out of the study. I know you've had a chance to dig into the study. And so uh, excited to, to chat with you about it today. Um, I want to start, though, not getting too much into what we found, but I, I just want to start and have you set the stage around monthly giving and talk to us about, uh, you know, monthly giving as a, a subset of uh, or as a part of nonprofit marketing, um, how important is it right now? Uh, what's the outlook on monthly giving? Just give us a little bit of an overview there. Absolutely. So monthly giving kind of has really hit its stride over the last decade. It was fairly new about 10 years ago. And um, since that time, there's been a lot of data demonstrating what kind of assistance it can uh, give a nonprofit towards its bottom line. Um, a lot of nonprofits like monthly giving programs because they provide basically donations that you can count on. Um, you know, everyone knows that people tend to give at the end of the year, but you don't know what's going to happen in the life of your donors. Like think about 2020, when you were planning your budget in 2019, you had no idea what was coming down the pike for us. So knowing that you have a certain number of monthly donors in the bank giving a certain amount of money can help nonprofits form a budget that they can actually depend on. Um, because so many nonprofits, especially small nonprofits, still are really in the margins every month, just kind of trying to make it through. Um, so like I said, last year, we really saw it come into play because they're really monthly giving programs are really helpful during times of crises. Um, and it was interesting for me to watch as a reporter because um, one of my colleagues had done some reporting prior to the pandemic. You know, the economy seems strange to remember, but the stock market, I mean, it still is strong. But before the pandemic, it was like crazy strong and everyone was kind of waiting for it to, to collapse, to dip back down. And um, I remember one of my my colleagues reporting on, on something about how like monthly giving was generally the first thing to go when people start feeling a squeeze on their wallets. They're like, all right, I'm just going to that $20 a month. I'm going to cut it out. Um, Interestingly, that didn't really seem to happen during the pandemic. There were a lot of groups that actually saw growth in their monthly giving programs and a lot of groups that decided that they really wanted to double down on monthly giving um, and going forward into the next year, try and recruit more donors, especially since so many, especially frontline organizations got in touch with new donors last year. Um, there's another kind of added bonus to monthly donors, which is they tend to give more than one-time donors. Um, there's a study in 2018 that found that actually monthly donors tend to give about 40% more, so it's significant. Um, that same study found that over the course of a donor's lifetime, a monthly giver will give 440% more than a one-time donor, so that's like astronomical. Um, and they also tend to be more loyal than one-time donors. Even people who give at the end of the year, um, monthly donors um, tend to stick around longer than that. 
Um, and their average gift for a monthly donor is generally around like $143 a year, um, whereas a one-time donor generally gives about $43 a year. So there's real differences there. As a, um, as a marketer, when you hear those stats, you, know, you think about, okay, so the, this kind of paints the attraction towards building right. a base of it, right? And and just as, you know, a business owner, <laughs> you you want customer loyalty, right? And, and from a nonprofit perspective, you want donor loyalty. So yes, it totally makes sense. And, and, you know, maybe as I think about historically, you, we've heard folks refer to it as mailbox money or people that, you know, set it and forget it. And I think that that paints too much of a passive mm. uh, label on those that give monthly versus the idea that, no, they're actually more valuable and they're more loyal and they're more bought in, that they're actually far more active versus a passive, easy thing to get them to do. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting distinction. And you'll find that some monthly giving programs will kind of have special outreach geared towards their monthly donors. So it could be something as simple as like the thank you, the monthly thank you gift or letter to a monthly donor has like a special letterhead. They could call you something different. You're not a donor, you're a sustainer. Or um, sometimes they like well, organizations will send feedback forms to monthly donors, knowing that they are more engaged and they they want to make them feel a little more valued. Totally. Um, so so definitely important. And as you said, we saw that monthly giving hold through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, an area where a lot of organizations grew was mm -hmm. uh, by taking on those donors through through the pandemic. Um, but it's not easy. I've been a part of multiple conversations and plans and campaigns mm -hmm. with organizations to uh, to help launch a, a monthly giving program. And again, as I mentioned, that that idea of something that every nonprofit marketer aspires to. So what are you seeing across the landscape as um, the better practices, the most current and relevant practices to get uh, potential donors to sign up and give monthly? Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, most fundraisers will say that the first place to start is just talking about it all the time. So like in any outreach that you send to your supporters, just mention that monthly giving exists. Um, because there are still nonprofits that are building their programs. You know, it's not, we can, pretty safely assume right now that there is a way to donate online to every nonprofit, but you still can't really assume that every nonprofit has a monthly giving program. So you have to let them know. Um, that's the first thing, even though it's super obvious. Um, and um, other people say also a good tactic is to kind of start tar by targeting your most loyal donors first. So uh, often the most successful monthly donor programs come from departments that have a really good sense of their donors. So they can break down the data. They can see like, these are the donors who give year over year and do individual outreach to them and just talk to them about the program and try and sell it to them. And it also helps, like I was saying earlier, to make them feel special by kind of 
it doesn't have to be a physical perk, but some kind of extra, you know, whether it's you're consulting them by asking them to give feedback, something to kind of include monthly donors and make them feel appreciated. Reiterate that value, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it does seem super obvious, but it's also super overlooked to not talk about it all the time, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, it's, it's just about setting the expectation that this is uh, not just a way, but a preferred way, mm -hmm. you know, the, that someone can contribute. I know a lot of organizations get lost in the ideas of whether or not, as you said, there are benefits uh, and making it more of a club, right? And so you can find yourself in a, a little bit of a um, maelstrom at times of just trying to navigate like how to, you know, how to move forward and build out a strategy or execute on a strategy there, uh, or on whether or not they should name their program. Do we have to give it, you know, do we have to sub-brand everything? Mm -hmm. And and all of those for me are distractions to just make it obvious, make it preferred and uh, and talk about it all the time. And like you said, that's, uh, I remember a conversation with uh, with Erica Vosdorp, who is um, a well-known nonprofit marketer. Um, she has actually written the book or two books on monthly giving uh, for nonprofit marketers. And so she would say uh, that, you know, just chipping away, making it something that you're constantly picking at and, and just kind of uh, trying to reiterate as, the, as, as an offer, as an opportunity. Um, super, super important there. And sometimes the obvious things are the things that we need to focus on the most, right? Right. I think it does, it is important to say though, that like you're saying, it is a matter of kind of just chipping away at it. And I think why, even though, you know, there's, there's real data on the value of monthly giving, it can still be a hard sell because it doesn't come quick. And so you really need, um, you know, a lot of fundraisers will say you need that institutional buy-in to have the patience to have just kind of like a kind of like squirrely first year and then like hopefully kind of get the, the wheels under you. So, you know, it's clearly awareness is a huge part of it and talking about it, how much, you know, it, intentional awareness of, of, of talking about it, but then how much does does the fact that we're seeing monthly subscriptions rise in so many other things? You've got you know, Netflix and Disney Plus and monthly subscription boxes. Is it is that contribute, you think, to the awareness for the donor that that's out there and, and such a common practice now? I think it certainly is making donors more comfortable with the idea of monthly payments. You know, we don't question so much the kind of small monthly payments when we look over like our credit card statements every month you'll hear fundraisers talk all the time about the subscription economy and how donors because they're also consumers are really attuned to that um but i i i don't know i mean you know i haven't seen any studies i haven't spoken with anyone that's explicitly said i want to look into monthly donate donating because I assume it exists because, you know, I pay for Netflix or Spotify or something every month. So I'm not sure if people, you know, I don't, I can't say, you know, conclusively that people are connecting the dot, but I think certainly people are more comfortable with the idea because of that, because of the, the subscription economy. I, I wonder if the dot is being connected, right? Meaning like to your point, it's not that, I don't know that people are, are choosing 
hey, I just signed up for BarkBox. So I'm also going to sign up for monthly giving. But I I do think that the um the adoption of digital payments mm-hmm. and the improvements in user experience from devices and uh, and and logins, et cetera, all contribute to the ease of converting into to a monthly donor. Uh, you know, so just you know to to even frame it more closer to home. Recently, uh, you know, moved into a new house, and we had you know to we had new Wi-Fi, so I had to reconnect every TV and then sign into every app on every TV and the ease of doing that now versus even like two years ago where I don't have to use the remote to get to a, you know, a QWERTY keyboard to, you know, scroll all the way over, you know, to be able to go to uh, a landing page and put in authorization code and it automatically signs in little things like that as an individual, as a consumer make digital adoption so much easier. So therefore when I'm confronted with something like, would you like to make this gift recurring every month? We'll easily charge your Apple Pay or whatever that is. It just comes it just comes more natural, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're all getting more comfortable with things happening digitally. So I think I remember even I used to like if I was going to make a purchase over like a hundred dollars, I used to like never do it on my phone. It's the same thing. Right. But for some reason, like it just felt like, Oh no, I need to be in front of a computer to do this. And now like I do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Although I do miss the days where we got out the the paper and they had the credit card machine that you, oh, you yeah. did the, the sliding <laughs> I, machine. I had jobs where I had to do that. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the best was doing that in a taxi cab. Like yes. because it, just, it didn't feel like it connected for a cab <laughs> to pull out the machine and, and do the old slide and give me the carbon copy, but any event. So uh so so drawing it to you know, drawing this conversation of, of monthly giving to uh to Gen X specifically. Um uh, as you mentioned, so you we've had a lot of fun with the self-identification as a part of these conversations. And you've self-identified as a millennial. Yep. We appreciate that. Uh, self-identifying as a part of the young Gen X cohort. Uh, and so, but, you know, maybe if you could speak to why you feel or don't feel that Gen Xers in particular are a good fit and good target for nonprofits to to look at as a, a monthly giving audience. Right. I mean, we were just talking so much about convenience and ease and for Gen Xers in particular, that's huge because if you think about folks that belong to Gen X, and they're usually like trying to they're really at the point where they're really advancing their career. So they're working a ton and often they're parents of young kids. And so they're super busy and they don't really have time to like go to meetings with fundraisers or read through your monthly email newsletter. Like they're just not going to do that. And uh, monthly donating is perfect for them because like we were talking about at the outset, you know, they don't have to do everything every month. Now, we know that Gen Xers are more skeptical. We know that they prefer to do their own research on charities. So that doesn't mean that they're 
not going to do some legwork to start. Like they probably are, I think, um, or was it? There was some study that was saying some of their preferred ways to to vet organizations. Usually they 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 usually rely on the organization's website, but a lot of times like nearly a quarter of Gen Xers in one 2018 study said that they would go to charity review sites to vet organizations too. So they'll do all that work. And the thing about Gen Xers is like, once you've won their trust, they're usually gonna stick with you. So um, one of my colleagues a couple years ago wrote this cover story on um, Gen Xers and she interviewed a fundraiser at Mercy Corps who described Gen Xers as um, very brand loyal. Um, and so once they've determined like, okay, nonprofit X has proven to be based off of their charity navigator rating, the impact metrics that they've shared that like my dollar will go far with them. Like I'm on board, I'm going to support them over the long haul. And so those are already your loyal donors are going to be more likely to be your monthly donors. So if you have that combination with Gen Xers, then they're they're pretty good to, to try and target for that. And then you can also sell them on, look how easy it is. Yeah, I think I think the digital part we were just talking about plays a role in it, too, because when we look at the study itself, we look at the baby boomer generation, only 20 percent of them said they first saw an appeal online. And then you move into the older Gen X, they say 34 percent first saw it online. Younger Gen X, 46 percent. Uh, millennials, 56 percent. So you, you see that increased digital adoption the younger you get. And so that that kind of puts Gen, Gen X probably more a little bit younger Gen X in that perfect wheelhouse for, you know, using these digital tools and signing up for monthly giving. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about, especially with that older, the older Gen X pod that, uh, that we, you know, looked at as a part of the study and, and then trying to just relate it to the, the things that I see, uh, nonprofits doing in their in their marketing and so you know you have organizations that are testing other ways to acquire donors uh even through direct mail so getting away from or testing against labels for a different audience so labels uh, might be a you know a soft premium or a freemium that works really well with boomers and the silent generation Maybe there's a, there's a different a different acquisition method for a younger generation. Uh, on another episode, we we visited with uh, with a, a former head of marketing and communications and fundraising and development for the National Park Foundation, and they have used as a part of you know their acquisition a map that includes all the national parks, right? And so it's an involvement device that allows you to see that landscape. And so again, you're using a traditional channel, but you're you're taking and inserting in some way to engage and involve that might be more relevant for that target audience versus what might be more relevant for an older target audience. And I do think that that digital adoption is a big part of it, Ronnie. Um, I, I think that there are other things that we can do, particularly for that older Gen X 
who was before the digital divide and, and you're in the massive rise of the internet to still connect with them in a very relevant way. We don't have to treat them just like we treat our boomer and silent gen audience. Mm -hmm. So um, as we as we think through the you know the things that can help us um, target Gen Xers, there's also no-nos, right? And and pet peeves or or things that uh, that might be a hurdle for someone in Gen X to convert. You mentioned skepticism, and I think skepticism is definitely a major hurdle. But what other hurdles do you see, both from your experience on the nonprofit side, but now also as you look across the landscape, what are the the things that nonprofits could do better? to connect with this younger audience. Absolutely. I mean, just to start off, like many nonprofits just ignore Gen Xers, which it seems to be kind of Gen X's lot in life. And, you know, no one likes to be ignored. Um, so I think um, it, it's, it makes sense, you know, baby boomers were such a huge generation. And then, the, you know, the millennials just aren't, we're not that far behind Gen Xers. So I think just some nonprofits kind of get distracted by like the shiny new object and like the huge wealthy group of people and forget that there's actually a group of folks that are, you know, growing their wealth. They're about to inherit a lot of wealth. A lot of them are self-made. A lot of them, you know, are are more interested in, in giving now um, than maybe was previously the norm. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's step one is don't ignore them. <laughs> They've had enough of that. And I think your study found that they, they really do feel ignored and they would, they, they would prefer that people remembered them. Um, and another thing that nonprofits can do is really pitch their mission and their impact very hard. So nonprofits uh, or Gen Xers don't want to just give their dollars unrestricted. That's a really hard sell. But the thing is, monthly donating pro donating programs, that's unrestricted dollars. And nonprofits really depend on it. So you kind of have to work twice as hard. And um, you know, you know, we already talked about how Gen Xers are going to do their research. So nonprofits, you know, they need to know that. So make sure that your website has stuff that is going to stick out to Gen Xers, something like impact metrics, um, something that will kind of give a sense of if you give X amount, you know, what kind of impact will you make? Um, and then when you're pitching a Gen Xer, really mention that, mention those hard numbers, um, talk to them about what kind of difference they can make. Um, and also, we, we talked earlier about how busy Gen Xers are right now, both their careers and their families. Um, so, you know, some of my colleagues have reported on the way that Gen Xers will email with each other. It's like very common to just be like one word, like, yes, no, <laughs> which, you know, is hard. I, I know I've had like Gen X bosses before at previous jobs where I've been like, yes, to, to which question that I asked you, you know, so it's not always the easiest thing. Um, but just know that that's how they prefer to be communicated with. And so, like I was saying earlier, your lovely quarterly email newsletter might not be the best way to reach them. Think about a punchier way that you can get your impact across. Um, and then also remember that Gen Xers, because they're building their wealth, because maybe they have a mortgage payment, um, they have childcare costs. A lot of times they're still paying off student debt, big student debt payments. So remember that they're they're not going to give you 
the huge gifts that you might be getting from a retired baby boomer. That doesn't mean that they won't in the future. So it's good to connect with them now. Um, but they're more likely to give kind of small to mid-level gifts, which is another reason why monthly donating programs are a great idea to pitch them. So, you know, in I wish this I could find an earlier, it's more recent stat, but in 2016, there's a Blackbot study that found that 86% of Gen X contributions were less than $10,000. So just a good benchmark to remember. That's uh, all so well said. And you know what it makes me think is that just a tip or a thought experiment maybe for our listeners is that, you know, I would encourage nonprofit marketers to look at their, look at your Google analytics and, uh, and look at, you know, the, the type of visitors that are coming to your site and look at some of the demographic breakouts that are coming to your site. I'm super curious where for nonprofits, where they see that, you know, Gen X audience, um, what content they see them consuming and how long they're staying, I think that that can give you some insights into the places that they may be swimming where you can either best educate or convert them. Um, You've also helped me with your thoughts there on why I tend to respond to Ronnie with one word uh, responses in email so much. So you've helped Ronnie and I both out today as part of it. Happy to help. (laughs) Stronger communication. Uh, so, okay, so Emily, just in terms of of rounding out the conversation, I'm really curious, um, you know, uh, the what sorts of things you're working on right now and and what you're looking at, you know, so uh, you know is it you know this is is gonna be um, this episode will be live in August. And so just curious, like what what's on uh, the the front of your mind right now? What are you looking at? What can we expect to see? with your byline on it uh, soon. Sure. So I'm interestingly, I'm actually working on a story about millennials because the oldest millennials are turning 40 this year. Um, And so, you know, as I was kind of preparing for this conversation, it was just interesting to think about like, a lot of these findings are going to be starting to apply to millennials now, especially during the pandemic. We saw so many millennials buy their first houses, start having mortgage payments. We know millennials have crazy amounts of student debt. So a lot of this stuff is transferable. And I think it was, um, as you all broke down the Gen Xers into young and old Gen Xers, good to remember the overlap that you all found between millennials and Gen Xers there. Um, So that's been really interesting. It's also made me feel old. Um, And um, apart from that, I'm also working on a bunch of other stories. I just did some some reporting yesterday on um, just basically the Delta variant and how it's kind of throwing everyone a curveball. I had all of these very hopeful conversations with fundraisers in the spring about planning fall events and how excited everyone was. And I just had to call them all back yesterday. And like all of them had like canceled their events or were on the like brink of canceling their events. So this is just going to be like a really messy fall season and not what any of us expected. So I expect I'll be doing a lot of reporting about that, reporting about how people are meeting with their donors. I've had some interesting conversations with folks about how fundraisers in particular, about how um, like Zoom meetings have changed the ask. And so that's something I'm interested in looking into, especially now that it 
might be sticking around for longer. So there is really no shortage of stuff, especially right now. It's true. It's true. If we learned anything last year, uh, it was about being flexible. And somehow, I don't know that we forgot, but we we tried to suppress that. Like everyone, we all had our eyes towards this glorious reemergence, and so um, you know, here we here we go again. Maybe uh, in in some ways, it's going to be a really interesting couple of months. Um, where can folks find you, connect with you, and keep up with um, all of this rather interesting content that you're putting out? Sure. So. Um got to give a pitch for the Chronicle. And because I have a captive audience, just want to do a little breakdown of how our site works. A lot of people will often be frustrated because they'll get to our site and they'll see a registration wall, think it's a paywall, and then stop reading. So I just want to give a little plea that you read the fine print and just type in your email, and then you'll be able to read a certain number of free articles. So we're not trying to like X out everyone. Hopefully this is a, a way to help our reporting reach a wider audience. So yes, you can find me at the Chronicle. I am on Twitter too much. Um, I don't know if you have like show notes, you can share my handle there. Um, I It's like at underscore Emily Haynes. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn a lot for work. So if you wanna connect with me on LinkedIn, that'd be great. Awesome. <laughs> that's pretty much it very cool we will uh we'll most certainly add uh add your handle in and tag it on all the episode uh promotion and where we talk about it emily it's been a lot of fun chatting with you and um i'm gonna double plug what you said about the chronicle the you know here's the thing is that um all three of us have worked in some way related to the the news space and so i'm not afraid to tell our listener base or those who are watching uh the video that hey if you appreciate the content then it's probably worth contributing and since we all work in uh the nonprofit space we shouldn't be hard-hearted towards giving to something like that so uh, certainly give your email address and then strongly consider the value of uh, subscribing. So there you go. Shade that plug. <laughs> for sure. Happy happy to sell for, for you as well. Emily, thanks so much for, uh, for the time. No problem. Okay, so there's the episode with Emily. And, uh, you know, what a great voice for the space. I, I gotta tell you, uh, you know, Ronnie, uh, who's been a part of this whole season of Group Thinkers, uh, he was so thrilled whenever he and Emily connected, and then likewise, whenever we just wrapped our arms around the fact that we have someone like Emily who is dedicated to keeping an eye on fundraising from a more broad perspective. And so, uh, quite the pleasure of having her on the show. And, and hearing her insights on uh, monthly giving. And, you know, one of the things that I always think about when we talk about monthly giving is a conversation from way early on in, uh, in Group Thinker's history, where we talked to Erica Vosdorp, uh, who I mentioned on this episode. And, and Erica's perspective was the best thing any nonprofit marketer could do is just chip away. I chip away, just always make monthly giving a part of what you're doing. 
have it be at the table. Give it a seat, give it a space, just continue to think about it, make it ever present in your strategies. And I think that that's evident as you see how uh, digital transformation is bringing modern payment solutions to the table and how organizations are wrapping together new strategies like what Emily, uh, Emily spoke of. So a uh, great episode and I really appreciate Emily being on. Hey, be sure to check out all of our episodes in season six where we talk about Gen X and this emerging group of, of um, donors and contributors to the nonprofit space. Um, I mentioned at the top, you can check out the Gen X study and all of our other resources at rkdgroup.com. You can follow us on social and, uh, and we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line along the way. And so with that, let's, uh, let's close up this episode. Thanks so much for checking it out. We'll see you next time. See you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to